Let the team at Black Hills Information Security test your defenses. With over 10 years of experience in penetration testing, red teaming, and threat hunting, the testers at Black Hills will help you find the holes in your security before the bad guys do. The team at Black Hills cares about educating and sharing their knowledge by creating countless blogs, open source tools, and webcasts for you to learn more about the tradecraft of pen testing and red teaming. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash BHIS to join their mailing list and view the latest blogs and webcasts from Black Hills Information Security. These days, it's rarely a case of if you'll be hacked and more of a question of when. Once the attacker has passed your defenses, they cover their tracks and systematically infiltrate your network to steal information or shut your business down. You need to rethink the way security is delivered for your digitally transformed business. And there's one security solution that delivers it all, NetScout. Get visibility without borders for consistent detection, mitigation, and prevention across any network, data center, cloud, 5G, and more. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash NetScout. Scout. Welcome back, everyone, to Enterprise Security Weekly. Sorry, my, my, my clicker for my teleprompter is on the other side. Uh, Security Weekly will be at Hacker Halted in Atlanta, Georgia, October 10th through the 11th. EC Council is offering our listeners a $100 off discount to attend to the two-day conference. Uh, use the discount code HH19SW when you register, or you can go to securityweekly.com forward slash Hacker Halted. I'll be doing the keynote, and Jeff Mann will be speaking. So, uh, Charles Thompson is here with us. He's the Senior Director of Product Management at Viavi Solutions. And uh, Matt Alderman's here with us, and we're going to talk about threat hunting. It's interesting. We were just having a conversation with John Strand um, about uh, testing you know, from within the network. And it's a conversation John and I had like probably 10 years ago. And we're like, we really just need to implant something in the network and then see if they detect it see if we can get out right because we know people are going to get in and uh, when we look in the history of threat hunting i wrote an article on like i don't know if it was 2009 or something like that that basically describes threat hunting without using the term threat hunting and then if you fast forward to today and we've got this wonderful term threat hunting and we're excited, right? I like this approach a lot. It's something that we've, it's something I've done in my career personally when I was at the university. I, you know, defending was hard, but I could certainly look for things that were already compromised. Um, and so it has grown into, I think, a wonderful area in information security that everyone should uh, have some level of threat hunting. And that's, a, I think, a good uh, kind of entry point for the discussion. Uh, Charles is maybe like the different levels of threat hunting because, you know, you mentioned Capital One. I'm, I'm sure they had an internal threat hunting team, right, uh, it, which probably had nothing to do with, with the breach, right? But large organizations, financial organizations do it. You know, right down to small, medium businesses can do some level of threat hunting, correct? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think what you see is a lot of security professionals take sort of a passive approach to security, right? They kind of configure their environment and they kind of lock the doors and and bar the windows and they say, you know, we're pretty much set at this point. We're not going to really be active I- anymore. And so, you know, threat hunting really comes in as a, as a way to be testing the the perimeter, but also the, the, the intranet environments to be able to understand what is actually vulnerable. You know, the Capital One is, is a great case of that, right? Uh, you know, the news is reporting this is a misconfigured firewall that allowed an employee to be able to access a data store that had all this information on it. Well, somebody thought they'd set that firewall up, right? And somebody thought that, you know, their things were set. So, you know, even when you get into how often people are doing pen testing, mm-hmm. it seems like it's incredibly rare. And, you know, even if you are doing pen testing, so often you're using active technologies, right? You're not really understanding 
what's connected and who's communicating, all your understanding is, well, can I get you know through A or through B? Um, so it's a it's a very interesting space where I think one size definitely doesn't fit all, but you know some level of active participation and threat hunting activities and those types of things is critical to a, a security strategy, and you know, we just don't see anywhere near enough of it, in my opinion. You know, it's interesting. We traditionally have talked about detection, prevention, and reaction. Threat hunting kind of fits in between some of those, <laughs> some of those layers. Now that you describe it, like I really do think it, because I mean, detection is like, what are you detecting? You're detecting the vulnerability, the exposure, the misconfiguration, the malware itself, the artifacts from the malware, or just completely post breach. You're you're detecting, doing incident response, right? Threat hunting kind of is right. You're right, Charles. It's that testing in between those different phases to see, it, am I? It, can I detect it, right? If I put a threat in my environment, me, myself, can I detect it? Which speaks a little bit to breach simulation, but it's an aspect of threat hunting, right? And then am I, can I actually protect it? Are my protections working? And then if I can get by all of that stuff, does someone see it and how do they react to it? Or the other aspect of threat hunting is someone's bypassed everything. They're inside of our network and I got to go find them before even more bad things happen, right? Yeah, and that and that's one of the biggest areas, right? Is is you know so many organizations believe that there's some level of breach that's already occurred. They they believe they're already vulnerable to something that's that's happening right under their noses. They they're just not aware of it. You know, a lot of security technologies today depend on things like uh, uh, you know normalized baselines and those types of things. And smart attackers are gonna mm -hmm. are gonna make sure that they they slide under the radar. They don't set off the alarms. They don't you know deviate baselines that create triggers and create investigations. And so. It's very hard to find the more sophisticated attackers, the ones that we're really, really concerned about. And active threat hunting allows you to be able to dig in and, and look for anomalies that might not be discovered by uh, you know, analytics in some of the systems that we have today. Not to say that those aren't getting better and better and better, but so many of the security technologies that are in place today are highly, highly dependent on baseline deviation as their sole means of understanding you know, what's happening within the environment. And you can trickle traffic and slowly over time deviate those baselines mm -hmm. or you know run so far under the radar that you don't even show up uh, with any baseline deviation whatsoever um and you know a couple hundred bytes here and there can wreak havoc on a network if, yep. if it's done correctly but you know most systems aren't going to alert you to those types of things it's been a great evolution of tools that have allowed us to do this kind of thing because when i think back to when i was doing it in early 2000s I could find the automated stuff, right? I mean, back then we used to use the term script kitty, right? We could find largely that stuff that was automated. And that was really the, the essence of our threat hunting. If an attacker did something more sophisticated, it took us much longer, if ever, to catch that particular attacker. Now with the analytics tools that we have, I think we're, we're so much better poised. When I, I interview folks like you, Charles, and others that are, have solutions, I'm like, I really wish I had that stuff when I was, you know, in the, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and so I think it's very encouraging that we've progressed to this point. Yeah, there is a lot of great tech out there and it's just a matter of taking advantage of it and, and being more, you know, active in the process, um, again, of, of, of looking for anomalous behavior within the environment or looking for those things that stand out that could be early indicators of something more widespread or, or broader within the environment. And, uh, you know, at some point, uh, you know, here, I'll, I'll actually turn on my screen share mm. and, and show you a couple different views. But, you know, one of the interesting things is if you do have, you know, let's just say some, some level of malware within the environment that's not getting picked up because, you know, you're, you're very early in the process, it's, it's not being flagged by the, the common uh, signatures and those types of things 
being able to understand who's talking to whom and how much data is being transferred. But, you know, even in some of the views, being able to understand who's being actively queried, but who's actually responding back. Um, yep. So I'll pull that up here in just a second as we, as we sure. talk through this. Matt, did you have comments? Yeah, yeah, I, I had a, you know, I think part of this is we've, we've had, our, our tools were kind of point in time tools. Mm -hmm. They were point solution tools. And, and one of the challenges I think we've had, which I think technology has helped us address, right, is the ability to correlate across multiple data sources to bring bigger data analytics into the equation. And now we can start to look for some of these anomalies through some automation that we didn't have before. But you still see vendors that are kind of point in time solutions, right? And I, I kind of go back to a term, Paul, you and I know pretty well is this concept of continuous monitoring mm -hmm. to Charles's point, right? I have a configuration baseline. That's what I expect the environment to be running as, but it drifts over time. How do I identify that configuration drift? If I'm not doing something on a more regular basis, I'm not going to catch that configuration drift, which now opens up a hole into my network to allow data to come out, right? And so the concept of continuous monitoring has always been intriguing. The question is to Charles, that I want to get some comments from Charles and maybe some, some vision on this is, how do you actively do that though? How do you effectively do monitoring on a more continuous basis instead of a point in time mm. scan or validation of your baselines? Because I think that's where we fall down in between those windows. Yeah, so I, you know what I see a lot of organizations starting to adopt is the concept of profiling within their own environment, right? Being able to lock a known good configuration of a device type. Say, for example, set a signature that says, this is a printer. This is how a printer should behave within the environment. Lock that configuration. It's not a baseline. It's actually a static definition. And then be able to say, alert me when there's any deviations to that, right? When, when a printer stops acting like a printer, suddenly a device that is a printer has been identified as a printer is in the, is in the, in the category of a printer suddenly is hosting, you know, a web server or suddenly is hosting FTP or is suddenly, you know, spewing out large volumes of data that it doesn't, it doesn't need to be or shouldn't be. Um, those are, you know, great indications, right? Because as an intelligent attacker, I'm going to leverage the resources that exist within your infrastructure to be able to, to carry out my attack and, 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 and probe from within and so on. So, active profiling and setting signatures for known good environmental elements and then saying watch for deviation on these elements it's not just a baseline that can be easily deviated over time and it's not volumetric information it's actually saying this is a device type of of type and kind it should be having these conversations to these subnets you know so on and so forth and then when that changes let me know about it now you know it's always a delicate balance right it, you can't spend all your time over configuring and run into a situation where every alarm that trips off, you just go, yeah, yeah, that's because nobody's updated the profile. You right, know, just ignore right. it. We, we ignore all the red on the screen all the time. At the same time, if you're not doing that, then you're completely reliant on, you know, deviation based analysis or blacklists, you know, that are, that are all based on either known normal patterns and volumetric information, which can be deviated over time, or you know, blacklist information and signature-based analysis, which if I'm a savvy attacker, right? I'm kind of I'm kind of ahead of the pack on that and that stuff. And I'm not necessarily using the known stuff that's going to get caught by the blacklists and, and the malware signatures and those types of things. So Charles, you've done some of these exercises for for customers, some threat hunts. 
Yeah, yeah. We so so we we've engaged with customers and done some threat hunting with them. Um, you know, and a lot of times it comes down to going into their environment and saying, okay, you know, what do we what do you know about your environment? Well, you know, we did a scan of our environment. We've got 51 devices. All right. Well, leveraging passive network-based observations, I can tell you, you've actually got 55 devices on your mm -hmm. network. No, no, we've got 51. No, you've got 55. These other four devices, they just didn't reply to your active, uh, you right. know, sweeping technologies because they're, let's just say, ATMs. ATMs are designed, you know, by default to, to not respond back to inbound requests. So using passive observation technologies, I can tell you how many devices you've got. Then who are they communicating with? Well, they're communicating with three different applications. No, no, it's only two. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you from the network perspective, it's actually three, right? So when you start to get into those kind of conversations, it's amazing how much deviation from expectation actually yeah. exists within the environment. And it's so that you, discovery 101 yeah, challenge that yeah. everybody has, right? Know I what mean, you have. Everybody know what you have. And everybody, if they, if they think they have 51, you really have 55 and it's two apps versus three apps or whatever. Right there's a gap in your in your visibility to even put the right protections in place. Yeah, I mean, if you don't have a blueprint of, of what the expectation is, then how in the world can you say, well, I've got my firewalls configured appropriately and I've got my yeah. ACLs set up that things aren't crossing boundaries that they shouldn't. You know, you run into it all the time where customers say, uh, you know, this can't talk to that. Well, you know, there's there's an average of five conversations a day representing, you know, a couple hundred gig worth of traffic of this talking to that. I, I swear it's happening, right? It's it's actually network-based communication. So we, we can observe it from that perspective. Um, but, you know, it, it, and it turns out that somebody changed something once, opened something up, and then, you know, forgot to close it or whatever. But, be, but if you're not an active, if you're not actively looking at the environment and you're not doing threat hunting, you're not doing just active profiling of the environment, you're oblivious to all those things. And so, Charles, this this is what your solution does, right? So you take a network tap and you do some passive analysis of the traffic to get a blueprint, essentially. Yeah, we use both packet-based information and flow-based information. So mm -hmm. it's, it's all wired data, right? It's all being sourced and being brought into the portfolio and then identifying, you know, what's talking to what, what's connected, where it's connected uh, as, as a way of kind of like setting a baseline, right? Setting a, setting an expectation standard. And then those can be locked as this is known good. Watch for, you know, watch for mm -hmm. deviations from known good. They can be dynamic, so they can drift over time, but we've you know, kind of talked about what some of the challenges are when it comes to that. And then you can actually go in and set up, you know, complex whitelists and profiles and so forth. So yeah, leveraging, you know, information that comes from the infrastructure itself. And then obviously the, the wire data, the packets that are traversing the infrastructure, that's exactly what our tool is designed to do and i like that because it's a really abstract layer I, I find so many solutions get too granular about like that's bad behavior and it's very very specific technique on windows or whatever right but the result of some of those attacks is behavior right that i'm impersonating a user or i've compromised some device and i'm doing something different with it than it normally does with this solution you can detect attacks in a more generalized sense rather than being very specific on yeah they're executing powershell on windows right yeah absolutely it can be very very broad or very very targeted you know if you've got a host of interest that you want to be able to drill in on it's very easy to do that i'll just crank up my share here for those yeah. that are uh, going to be seeing this on the uh on the webcast yes and if you go to securityweekly.com forward slash viavi we're going to post the video uh of this segment here so if you're listening uh, you can check in and see it. And then, Charles, I know you you and your team are working on um, some cheat sheets or something with uh, with threat hunting. So those resources will become available. Yeah, we're pretty excited about that. So we're working with some industry uh, folks that are, are uh, pretty active and, and, and doing some pretty interesting and, and 
I would say, innovative things in terms of threat hunting and how they're leveraging these types of technologies. So we're pretty excited about uh, making some of that content available. Awesome. But what we're looking at on the screen here is kind of, you know, your traditional war game scenario, right, which is we're, we're watching for anomalous behavior. And that that is blacklist activity, but it's also, you know, your, your sin fin activity and it's any deviations from our locked profiles. Right. Mm -hmm. So I can come in here and I can easily say, do I have anything behaving abnormally from any perspective, whether it's you know known blacklist, malware, signature based detection, whatever it might be. If I come into an event category here, you know, I'll just grab one that's pretty easy here, send port sweeping. Oh, let me clear out of that. In just a second, I think it refreshed on me just as I was clicking on it. Yeah, there we go, perfect. So I can come in here and I can see, you know, exactly who's talking to whom. And when I drill in on this and do a search against the, the known bad actor, right, the, the IP address, what this actually builds out for me is a conversation tree. Right, which is a great way to be able to easily visualize who's talking to whom. Now, a key element of this is where are we observing that communication from? This list yeah. along the left-hand side here is actually the flow sources. So it could be the router, it could be the firewall, uh, it could be you know various different pieces of infrastructure that are reporting out what they're witnessing, and then being able to build out the conversation tree to be able to see the host of interest, you know, the the, the target known bad actor what applications they're trying to communicate across, who they're communicating out with, and who's responding back to them. So this is really the, the key bit here, right, is this known bad actor had one target in mind, right? That's the blue line across the top where the unidirectional flow is being seen from the known bad actor out to, you know, in this case, it's, it's uh, this IP address 242 within our environment. And I can see here on the green, 242 actually responding back. So that's concerning, right? That's an indication that that host, you know, we know it shouldn't be responding back to a known bad actor using a known malware mm -hmm. signature, or known blacklist activity, or we just know that the profile that we've defined for that subnet or that device type shouldn't be responding back to this type of request, but it is. Yeah. And when I hover on it here, you can see it's three kilobytes worth of data, right? That says click for forensics of three KB. I mean, that's not going to deviate a baseline. That's not going to show up. You know, a smart attacker can do a lot with 3KB worth sure. of worth of activity for back from a host. Yeah, and what I like too is I, I think all of us that have defended networks before have that list in our heads or programmatically throughout the environment that are like these things should never be exposed to the internet, right? I mean, that's the big one is if it's exposed to the internet or not. This seems like a great solution to tell me those things we might have missed, those configurations that someone may have changed to say. By the way, now this app is exposed to the internet. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I would expect that a known bad actor is going to be trying to, to reach into our environment or, 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 or some location within our environment and, and make some activities. But what I would expect is that my hosts are not able to respond back out. So, right. you know, if that we look too. at another yep. one here, this, this port sweep, and we search against that, that known bad actor. Here I've got, you know, the, the known bad actor here talking to 107 IP addresses, right? So ingress of 107, egress of eight, which mm -hmm. me effectively means that I've got eight hosts that are not doing what they should be doing, which is not responding to this. Now that could be a misconfigured firewall, as is you know what, what's being reported in the in the uh, yeah. Capital One case, or it could be that those eight hosts are already infected with with the malware, and so I can literally track that down and over time do a time-based analysis to get all the way back to patient zero and understand the spread of this within our environment, and that's where we get into that remediation phase of being able to understand how widespread the, the attack was, what was compromised, what was exfiltrated, and so on. But it all starts with actively participating in threat hunting activities to figure out that an issue exists. 
Well, yeah, and we just talked about phoning home in the one of the previous segments, and right. this solution absolutely addresses that issue. It's how do you know what's phoning home? And this isn't necessarily an attacker all the time. Maybe this is some software you've put on your domain controller or whatever that's phoning home to China. There was an example of like a webcam, and they discovered it was phoning home to China. Charles, it sounds like your solution is perfectly poised to be able to tell you what's phoning home and yeah, if it absolutely. was successful. Yeah. What applications are, are phoning home, how they're phoning home, uh, the path that's being taken, you know, what you can even drill in and be able to get, you know, flow codes out of the firewalls to see what which ACL is allowing that communication to occur when yep. in theory it should be blocked and it's and it's not. Oh, that's awesome. Very cool. Um, so tell us about um, like a, a use case where you've gone in and, and put this solution in a customer uh, environment. Yeah, so there was a, a financial organization that we were working with uh, uh, over in in uh, the UK, and in their environment, you know, we talked about a little bit earlier. It was basically they they knew they had penetration testing that needed to happen within their environment. They were bringing in a third party, but before that happened, they wanted to kind of understand what their environment looked like. They wanted to be poised and ready to answer the questions from the auditors when when they came in. So exactly as, as described earlier, right? We went into a, a subnet. We were told, we don't worry, we've, we've already done all of our active scanning. There's 51 devices. Well, actually, there was 55, right? Well, that can't be. There's 51. Well, here's the results from my, from my active scan test. Well, you know, these four devices, which turned out to be ATMs, didn't respond back to your active scan test, right? So being able to understand what was connected, then being able to understand where those devices were connected and be able to say, okay, so you've only got, you know, one VLAN. No, 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 no. The ATMs are segmented. They're on a separate VLAN, they're, but they're not, right? So being uh, able to see a conversation right. map, a connection map is showing us that these ATMs are in fact not segmented the way you believe they are. So, you know, being able to go in and just say, wow, there are a lot of risks here within this environment is, is so telling, right? And then what we were able to do with that account was actually build out these conversation trees that you see here, as well as connection trees to be able to say, here's how these devices communicate. Here's what you know is dependent upon one another. And that was useful for two reasons. One, it allowed them to understand what was potentially misconfigured or needed to be reconfigured in their environment to be able to put up the appropriate firewalls and set up the appropriate rules and you know put the appropriate prevention in place. But secondarily, as they were in the process of migrating some of their core technology out to a cloud-based environment, they now understood what needed to move in tandem and how it needed to move and mm. what needed to, to be enabled so that security didn't get a black eye when things moved and either they opened it up too much, which would have allowed you know, potential risks to occur, or locked it down too tightly such that the application stopped working. So it was kind of like a twofold uh, event where you were doing some active threat hunting and understanding where your vulnerabilities existed, but then you were leveraging that same information for your cloud migration strategy to ensure that security was well-informed and, and that the, the plan was, was well-structured, which unfortunately is a lot of times an afterthought when you're doing some of these uh, uh, migrations. And, and doing this w without such a tool or solution takes a really long time. Like I've been there, right? If you're trying to figure out what's talking to what, it's pretty time consuming. You find your customers uh, save a lot of time. Oh, it's massive, massive. I mean, you know, even some of the, the visualization technologies, like, you know, what you're seeing here on the, the, the right hand side of the screen, right? Being able to just click on a conversation and say, you know, here's the here's the, the, the destination IP that was, you know, talking back to to the host, just being able to visualize it like that mm -hmm. versus having to go through 
PCAPs and three pane decodes and try and create conversation trees out of that and rows and rows of data. I mean, even just a, a good visualization of this information can substantively reduce the time that it takes to, to understand what's happening within the environment. So yeah, it's a huge time saver in, in being able to, to know what's happening. And you know, with some of these visualizations, it's very easy to see X is talking to Y, you know, a lot of times that gets lost in the clutter of a, you mm -hmm. know, a, a 28,000 row spreadsheet right. of, of, of information, but being able to visualize it and see it very quickly, you know, it's, it's not uncommon for us to be firing this up after, you know, being running in a customer's environment for 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah. You show them information on the screen and suddenly three of the engineers kind of look at each other and suddenly walk out of the room because they've yeah. seen something on the screen. They understand exactly what's happening and they're going to go resolve problems in real time. I mean, that's not an uncommon occurrence. It's a great, yeah, it's a great use case for time to value, uh, for sure, we were just talking about that on, on the previous segment. Uh, it, you know, querying the vendors for what's my time to value, and I love the solutions that you get it in in 15 minutes later. Engineers are running out of the room to go fix things. That's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, it's great in, to see. In a highly diverse environment, in the complexity that's getting introduced constantly with these new technologies, this is a big challenge. Just this level of visibility is hard to get and understand because nobody knows where half of their stuff is sometimes. Yeah. And, and this really helps. Well, especially yeah, in your, especially. your ATM example, a retail chain, right? Where you've got 30, 40, 50, a hundred different, you know, branch offices or stores or whatever, or, you know, banks, branch offices. This yeah. is extremely. And, and, and legacy applications, right. Mm -hmm. That are still running in largely mainframe environments. And people are going, I don't know. The folks that built this stuff haven't been here for the last yeah. 10 or 12 years. It runs, it works. We're scared to move it. We're scared to mess with it too much. But at the same time, we need to apply data center security to this infrastructure. So we got to know how this stuff is yeah. actually functioning, how it's actually working before we can really start to lock it down. You know, PCI DSS compliance or HIPAA compliance or whatever it is is saying we need to tighten our security. But we don't understand how this stuff works. So how are we supposed to do that? Right. This kind of technology can really inform an organization and allow them to begin on those initiatives, whether it's a cloud migration or a, mm -hmm. a, a more secure uh, data center or infrastructure uh, initiative. You know, having visibility and having these types of insights are what enables those business objectives. And, and I think something I want to point out here a little bit, I know we're talking about threat hunting, but there's a lot of other value that, that these solutions bring to the table. And in, in, we just talked about it, visibility, right? Understanding scope, understanding communications. Now, granted, you can use it for a lot of additional things, but you're solving some of the basic fundamentals that I think a lot of people struggle with still today, Charles, is I just, I don't know what's there. I don't know what's communicating. Now that I have that, now I can continue to mature what I do and actively looking for threats in my environment because now I have a really good solid picture of what's in my environment. It's a, it's a great point. I mean, you know, our roots are kind of in the remediation phase, right? After the event has occurred, mm -hmm. what we've seen are more and more and more use cases where threat hunting and active participation in understanding what's occurring is a, a common use case for our technology. So you're absolutely right. You know, kind of, we're talking kind of on, on the active threat hunting piece, but there's so many other use cases when it comes to remediation. And you know, we all know it's not an if, it's a when uh, that, that an organization will suffer a breach or, or be subject to some type of an attack. And so what do you do once that occurs? How do you understand how widespread it was? How do you understand what was exfiltrated? How do you understand you know, what, what your requirements are at this point now that something has, has taken place? 
And so, yeah, there's, there's so many different applications of this type of technology and visibility enables, enables so much. And, you know, the cool thing is that because this is all coming from an infrastructure or network perspective, it's very, very difficult for even a savvy attacker to cover their tracks and, and, and hide from some of this stuff, right? A savvy attacker is going to, you know, clear syslogs and, and, and do a lot of things to try and cover their tracks. But it's very hard when you've got, you know, 24-7 capture device recording information or, or live flows that are happening every 15 seconds and being recorded to, to go back and kind of cover those tracks and, and, uh, and really scrub out that infrastructure information. So point being, these records and this insight is here and available either to the organization who could leverage it directly or when, you, when it comes time to, to bring in a third party organization and say, you know, we need some help. We need to bring in some, some real hardcore experts because we have suffered a breach. And here's the here's all the the gold that we have for you in terms of what's connected, what's communicating, what's been happening ever since this this uh, uh, event occurred. Charles, yeah, um, as, as, as sorry, they say, ahead. the network never lies. That's it. <laughs> uh, so a couple of points are no is Viavi are you exhibiting at Black Hat? Will you be at Black Hat? Yeah, it's a good question. I uh, I know that we we've got a, a presence at Black Hat. I don't know that we're actually actively exhibiting, but I know that we'll have a, a presence at Black Hat. Okay, so if you're interested, reach out, uh, set up a meeting as we talked about in our previous segment, um, and also the the interface you showed us. You've got a new release coming up uh, around Black Hat time. Yeah, so so actually the the interface that I just showed that release dropped uh, last week, and we've got okay. a, another. Uh, pretty sizable release that ties in more threat hunting capability, advances our profiling functions, and allows more direct correlation between uh, our flow content and our packet content. And that's going to be happening in the early September timeframe. So pretty exciting, you know, a lot of forward momentum on this, all coming directly from, from customer feedback as they, they're finding more and more interesting use cases for this technology. That's fantastic. So make sure you check out, Charles, anything else you want to share with our audience? No, I think this was great. You know, I appreciate the time and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about, you know, actively participating in, in a security posture. I think it's, it's one of the most interesting topics. It's obviously something that I've got some passion around. And I've seen so many people make such great strides in the past just couple of years with really actively uh, working within their environment that I uh, appreciate the opportunity to get the word out and, and would welcome any future conversations or uh, uh, questions from the audience. That's awesome. I uh, encourage our audience to visit securityweekly.com forward slash Viavi. Uh, we'll post a video here, any additional materials. Uh, and if you're interested, you can uh, sign up a form uh, and get a demo and meet with them at Black Cat. So, Charles, thank you so much. Thanks very much. Appreciate you having me. And that will conclude this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching.